0: The book of Joshua, and we want to begin tonight in Joshua chapter number six. And I have been uh, praying about messages that uh, correlate with our theme for this month. And in the morning services, I am uh, bringing a sermon series on drawing near to his body, and uh, we're talking about the body of Christ. And of course, that is the church. And there are things that we can learn from what took place many, many years ago before the church was established that help us still with some timeless principles about those things that will uh, be helpful to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I uh, just want to say that here in uh, chapter 6, we find a very... A familiar and important victory in the life of the people of Israel as they have crossed over Jordan's river and they have entered in to Canaan's land. And here they are facing their first great battle. And really it was arranged in such a way that they would know entirely that the battle belonged to the Lord. We have heard the story about how the Lord commanded the children of Israel to march around seven days around Jericho. And on that seventh day, that uh, upon that final time around that city, doing that which was really thought of to be foolish, uh, going right up, marching around the wall, and uh, that's not anything that any army would have ever done, but God was protecting His people. And we know that they were to shout... And uh, it was something that uh, they were to do to blow the trumpets and so forth and to make a a, a great praise to the Lord. And and as they blew the trumpets, uh, compassing the city, we know that the walls of Jericho came down. And uh, we find that in uh, verse number 17, the Bible says, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because ye hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. All the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are iron are consecrated to the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp, Of Israel, And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive, and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. But the Lord was with Joshua, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Lord, help us tonight as we study your word to glean the truth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I want to bring you a brief message entitled, The Lessons of AI. The Lessons of AI. Many know about the walls of Jericho, and songs have been uh, written about uh, Jericho. And, 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 And we can sing that song. Well, the Lord told Joshua to go to Jericho and to march seven times around. And uh, we we know that there are songs written about this. And yet, you know, there are no songs written about the next city. There's no rejoicing about what happened in the next battle. In fact, we find that it was really a test for the people of Israel. And I think that it is important that we see this, that the Bible tells us here that the Lord commanded them, and He said in verse 17, as we read before, that the city shall be accursed, and ye shall not in any wise take of the accursed thing, lest ye you make yourselves accursed, when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel accursed, and trouble it. And so God gave explicit instructions to, concerning what was to take place as they came up against the city of Jericho. To this point, the children of Israel were afraid. They were trepidatious, although they had been told that the Lord their God was with them. And Joshua was leading them faithfully over. And as they came up against the city, with trepidation they did the unthinkable. They they simply marched around the city we know that the spoilers, the archers, stood at the top of the walls. They could have just picked them off one by one should they have chosen to do so. They could have just taken big vats of boiling uh, tar and oil and dumped them over the wall onto the heads of those that were marching around. And that indeed happened on many occasions in battle. They could have thrown down boulders on the heads of those that were there at the bottom of that wall, and yet they didn't. And there was a curiosity in the part of those that lived in Jericho and wondering why these people would be so foolish as to do something like that, to make themselves absolutely and utterly vulnerable, and yet it was what God asked them to do. And my friends, I'm just going to say something to you, that sometimes God wants you to give up all of your defenses God wants you to let go of all of your self-protective plans to stay within your, little, your own little comfort zone and make yourself vulnerable before Almighty God, knowing that if victory would come, it would only come by the hand of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the miraculous. I want to be a participant in the supernatural. But my friends, if I am, it will not be because I have gone into it on my own terms. It will be because I have submitted myself to the plan of the Almighty. And what God asks us to do sometimes is put ourselves before Him in all vulnerability and transparency and knowing that if victory comes this day, it will have only come by the hand of God. And that's precisely what the Lord led them to. They knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that the battle would be entirely the Lord's. They did something that in the eyes of the world seemed foolish. They made themselves totally and utterly vulnerable before the people of Jericho and before the Lord their God. As we understand this, God had given them a command. He said, I want you to do this precisely as I have commanded. The command that the Lord gave was not altogether unlike many of the commands that He would give in subsequent days, and not altogether unlike many of the commands that He has made to them, that He had made to them before. He said, When you go in, I want you to destroy everything. And whatever is there of great value, of the of the gold and of the silver, of the brass, I, I want you to take those vessels and and that money, and I want you to put it in the treasury of the Lord. I want you to consecrate it unto Him. So the Lord gave them a command. And I would just simply say to you that this was a different dispensation of time. Dispensations are denoted by God's dealing with men in certain periods of time in certain ways. And God dealt differently in every dispensation with mankind. Um, Recently, I read an article in a Christian periodical, and it was talking about the Word of God. And in fact, it was really more of a humanistic article written by a liberal theologian who was an instructor in a very... Famous uh, 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 seminary in our country, and he was talking about uh, the Word of God and how that uh, it wasn't necessarily changeless truth. It was uh, something that was a progressive revelation. Now, I I just want to say something to you. Uh, That's the only way he found to try to deal with what God commanded that they do in Jericho. But may I say that the Bible is not best handled as a progressive revelation, it does not become true as we appropriate it. It doesn't become true as we find it's relevant in our relevance in our culture. No, we interpret the Word of God dispensationally, recognizing that God dealt with different people in different times and in different ways to lead them into his purpose and plan for them as a people. And as we uh, see these dispensations unfold, especially as they dealt with the children of Israel, a dispensation typically was ushered in by God judging and dealing with sin. And it was concluded by God's dealing with more sin, turning people back to the Lord. And, And so God dealt in different ways and in different times with different people. And that is how we deal with such instances like what God said do in Jericho and then in Ai and in every other city of Canaan that they were to enter into. They were to keep themselves utterly pure, free from the love of Canaanite women and Canaanite gods. He wanted to keep a people that were reserved and pure for himself. They were his people, the people of his name and his calling. They were Indeed, the apple of his eye, and he did not want to share his affections with them. And so what we discover is that he said, I want you to go and I want you to utterly destroy them. And whatever is there of value, I don't want you to claim it for yourself. I want you to consecrate that entirely unto the Lord. Now, my friends, I just want to say, say something to you. That there are things that we need to recognize in our lives, even in this dispensation... Of the age of grace or the church age that God wants to have as uh, sacred and holy unto Him. There are things that God wants for us to consecrate unto Him. God has called us to give ourselves unto the Lord. More than what we have, God wants us. That was born out on Mount Moriah when... God called Abraham to offer Isaac there upon the altar of sacrifice. God did not so much want what Abraham had. He wanted Abraham. He wanted the heart of Abraham. And the truth is that God is not so much interested in what you have. He's God. He doesn't need what you have. He wants you. And He knows that if He has you, then He has all that you possess. And so we recognize that uh, the Lord said, "I don't want you to to take any of the spoils here. I want you to take of the gold and the silver and the brass, and I want you to consecrate it unto the Lord. Put it in the treasury of the Lord. You know, I believe that God wants us to take of the first fruits of all that He gives us. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase." So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. We know that the Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We know that Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, and shaking together, and running over, shall then press unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye give with all, it shall be measured to you again. And so we recognize that God desires that we set aside that which should be given unto the Lord and hold that as holy unto Him. God has always requested time of mankind. We can trace that all the way back to the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, when mankind uh, carved out and had a time in every day where they walked and talked with the living Lord. And, and it, it was a wonderful time. And and we understand that because of sin that that was uh, circumvented and that mankind became separated from God. But God then gave the law and in the law itself He asked them to keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy. And it was, it was to sanctify that day unto the Lord. And it was a time to give themselves unto the Lord and to rest. And we understand that that was even a picture in and of itself of a Sabbath rest that was to be provided by the Lord, Sabbath, even Jesus, that which He would do for us. And so God has always asked for time of His people. Do You know, I believe that it is important for us that while we do not observe the Mosaic Law, that we give a time that's consecrated unto the Lord. And I find that today we're living in such a time that there are those that more than gladly uh, do away with time that should be held sacred as under the lord you know god said to these people i don't want you to do what i i don't want you to do anything that would uh, cause you to be a curse and what he said would cause him to be a curse was this to take the things that should be reserved to the lord To take the things that should be reserved unto the Lord. Folks, did you know that God wants time from you? Sometimes that's really the most valuable thing we feel like we can give. Every once in a while we'll have an activity and we'll ask for volunteers. And uh, we'll say who can come and give a day to help. Uh, with an outing or an activity or with something going on with the bus kids or can you help with VBS and there are those that are like oh I'm so tired you know I don't think I can take the time to do this and so they're more than happy to say I'll give you $100 I'll give you $200 or I'll buy the pizza but I can't be there you know uh, we sometimes value our time more than we even do our money but the truth is there are certain things that we need to understand and that is that there should be a time in our lives that's reserved as sacred unto the Lord. There should be of our resources those things that God has prospered us with that are held as sacred unto the Lord. Recognizing that these things are the Lord's to begin with. And so when we encroach upon that which God said should be held sacred, we understand that we put ourselves in a place where there is a consequence that follows. Now, I want you to see that God had made a command. And the command would then affect the collective. The collective. If one man, one man, took of that which was reserved unto the Lord, it affected every man, woman, boy, girl in the camp the Lord said it he said that they were to utterly destroy it and that they were to burn it everything except that which was to be reserved as unto the Lord and so nothing was to be uh, was to be taken that was for the Lord he said in verse 18. Uh, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Now, I just want to say this to you. When we take of the time and resources that should be given to the Lord, it affects the collective. In other words, It affects the whole congregation. It affects the people of God. I want you to hold your place here, and I want you to just consider a verse that we read this morning that I think really helps to bring to light what I'm communicating. For the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, something very powerful. The Bible says this in verse number 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. We say that again. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Let me just say to you that recently I was watching a basketball game. It was coming right down to the wire. And, and it was back and forth and there was no telling what the outcome would be uh, the teams were exchanging baskets and and the defense that was being played was very intense and as i remember watching this i believe it was the maybe it was the warriors that were playing can't remember now who they were playing against but uh, the game was coming right down to the wire and one of the good players on the warriors team um was upset they had attempted a shot and they felt that they had been fouled and there was no foul call. And so they began to tear into the referee and they began to, to lash in uh, to that referee with curse words and everything and making a scene until finally the referee turned around and blew the whistle and gave him a technical foul. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, that player continued barking at that ref even though the coach and everybody else was trying to move him aside and to keep him quiet because the game was still hanging in the balance. There was uh, still about a minute to go and the score was tied. And, and even though he felt like he hadn't been done properly because the, the foul wasn't called, uh, he was yelling at that ref and finally the ref blew the whistle and gave him another technical. And so now the opposing team was going to take two uncontested free throws and have the possession of the ball. And that player on the Warriors team was now ejected for the duration of the of the game. And it left a, a substandard substitute to come in that person's place and try to guard a very difficult position. Well, when that happened, the player from the other team went to the free throw line and scored both of the free throws. They took the ball from out of bounds and they scored against the substitute that came in to cover for the man that was ejected from the game. And now there was about 30 seconds left and they were up by four. And you know what? It was all but a foregone conclusion at that point. The game was over and the coach was really upset At that one player. You know why? The actions of that one player affected the outcome for the whole organization. For everyone. And sometimes we think that we can just do away with what God says. We can live however we choose to live. And that there's going to be little consequence. Because after all. I am not under the law, but I am under grace. The fact is, sin, though forgiven and washed away by the blood of the Lamb, still carries a natural consequence. If a man has a family and he drinks alcohol and he drives while drunk and he he loses his driver's license, there's a, a chance he may lose his job, he may lose his freedom. You see, that doesn't just affect him, it affects the collective, it affects his his family, you see. Sin always affects more than just the one who involves in it, who is involved in it. Sometimes we hear people throw around terms like victimless crimes. In the economy of God, there is no sin that does not affect a vast number of people. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 12 that no man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. I believe it's verse 7. No man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. And so what we gain from that is the knowledge that, look, my life and its choices impacts the life of others and we need to live with that in view and understand that God has given commands and there are things that should be upheld as sacred as under the Lord chiefest of which is not my money or my time but me that's where it begins and then we understand that the collective that the congregation is going to be affected by the choices of certain individuals. That's, that's the way the body functions. If one member suffer, First Corinthians 12, 26, we all suffer with it. So listen, we we rise as a team, we fall as a team. If one person doesn't show up for the game that we're counting on and, and they're our leading scorer, then that one person's absence affects the entire squad. And the reality is that those who are a part of the body of Christ, if they choose to engage themselves in that which God said not do, they're not going to come under condemnation of the law because they're free from that. Christ has set them free. But there is still going to be an impact and a consequence, not only for them, but also for many others. We notice that there was a man named Achan, and, and when God told them to go into to Ai and besiege Ai, the, the spies that went into Ai said, look, they do not have many people. Let's not send the whole army. Let's not get carried away with this. Let us send two or at the most 3,000 men into Ai. And had they gone in with that, and had they not had a problem with the fact that there was a man who went into Jericho and did what God said do not do, that would have been fine. There was a man named Achan that went into, into Jericho before the battle at Ai. And he took a goodly Babylonish garment. He took some talents of silver. He took a wedge of gold. And he, he buried them in the middle of his tent, under the, under the floor of his tent. Thinking that no one would know. No one would be worse for not knowing, and my family would be bettered when we're uh, established in wherever it is that God gives us here in this land of promise. And so uh, he thought this, what people don't know won't hurt them. But it did. In fact, what happened was the men went up into AI, and rather than putting the people to flight, Rather than seeing a great victory like they did in Jericho, what happened was the men of Ai pursued the Israelites, all 3,000 of them, and 36 men were slaughtered at the edge of the sword. The people fled for fear, and Joshua was wringing his hands and wondering what to do, and and thinking that maybe it would have been better for them to remain on the other side of Jordan, and and maybe to have been in Egypt, and and questioning whether or not really the Lord was with them, and and the Lord brought him back to his uh, senses, and uh, and said, in verse ten, the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up; wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. Now. One man in Israel sinned. His name was Achan. One man did what God said do not do. One man took of that which God said give utterly. And that was Achan. And yet here God said Israel has sinned. You see it wasn't just imputed to Achan. You see the problem was visited upon a nation. He said, they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any anymore, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. So we know that what happened was Joshua arranged for all of the tribes of Israel to come before him. The Bible tells us in verse number 13, Up sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies. Until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed things shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel." So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah and he took the family of the Zarites and he brought the family of the Zarites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken, and Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus, and thus have I done. And I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold, of fifty shekels weight. And I coveted them, and took them, Behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent. Behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. They took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. They brought them under the valley of Achor, and Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burnt them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Let me say, because of his covetousness to have, he compromised the victory and cost the lives of 36 men. He sinned against the Lord God. And I would just say this, that all... all Disobedience is sin. They did what God said. This man did what God said, do not do. I am sure he thought, this will be okay. Nobody will find out. But God knew. God knew. You know, the Lord will remove sin's consequences from you eternally. But that doesn't remove the consequences of your decisions temporally. You might get arrested. That's a consequence for your sin. God will forgive you, but perhaps the civil government will not. That's a consequence. A person can go out and they can defile their spouse. They can commit adultery and perhaps their spouse will forgive them and, and, and receive them back. Or perhaps not. Maybe they will file for a divorce. God will forgive you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your husband or your wife will. There's always a consequence. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be a trail of broken hearts and of tears. You see, there are consequences for sin, even the ones that we think no one knows about. That it will be okay. That it's just a little thing. I'm just one person in a vast nation. God is not going to be concerned with me, but He is. I'm not today saying that any of us will be dragged from the from the city, from our homes, and and stoned with stones. I'm not saying today that that I'm advocating we return to this dispensation and we. We see this kind of judgment visited upon families and nations. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I am saying this, that for us to have the notion that there are no consequences for sin because I'm saved is a fallacy. The consequence is a loss of testimony. The consequence is the pain inflicted upon families. The consequence is the suffering visited upon churches who are now shorthanded and without resource. The truth is today, sin always has a price tag. And of course we're forgiven. And of course the Lord will remove it from us. But do you know I would much rather fall into the hands of the Lord than into the hands of men, just like David said, because there are natural consequences that follow sinful choices. What God said to do here is hard to listen to. It's hard for people to understand why would the Lord do that? Why would God ask them to to go into a land, to to go into Amalek and utterly destroy them? They say that's genocide. Why would God say that? It's not that God is a cruel God. You see, all of those people groups hated and were against Him. And God knew that it was necessary to preserve a people that were consecrated to Him and to Him alone. And unless they thoroughly dealt with the issues, they would have to deal with the pain from generation generation. Well, the saddest verses in the Bible is that God said I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amalek in the Bible is a type of the flesh. And did you know that had mankind dealt with Amalek the way God said the first time, that would not be the case. I believe that it is important for us to understand that God wants us when confronted with our sin to understand that it must be utterly dealt with. Now, the sad thing is God exposed Achan who thought he was going to get away with it. Nobody knew. There were those that dissembled with him. They they were in cahoots with him and his family. They knew what was there. And they didn't let the cat out of the bag, so they were complicit in it. It cost the lives of 36 men and impacted hundreds of those who were related to those 36 men. But perhaps the most devastating thing that that Achan had to deal with was not the fact that he was stoned and burned. As they took Achan, they took his family. Achan didn't care about the sheep and the oxen. But Achan cared about those kids. He cared about his wife and his sons and his daughter. And as they they led them out to Acor, those children were crying. You know they were. They were pleading. Daddy, I don't want to go. Daddy, I'm afraid. Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, what are they going to do to us? Let me just say that Father's listening right now. Mother's listening right now. You may make some decisions in the moment that you think will be okay and that will not be a problem to you or your family. But before you do, I want you to think about those kids, those grandkids, that spouse, your folks, your family. And the pain and the heartache that will come upon them by your selfish choices, should God choose to make it known. Inevitably, the ones that suffer because of the foolish conduct of mamas and daddies We take the time that belongs to the Lord because we are trying to make a living, we say. So we never give God any time. And we think, it's okay, I'm not under the law. You'll never come under condemnation of the Lord. You're not under the law. But you cannot tell me that it's good for you to forever ignore God. You see, God... God gave commands to gather, to forsake not the assembly. God gave commands to, on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God had prospered him. And when we choose to do things our own way, it affects the collective and most of the time when we do that, it's because of the covetousness that has overtaken our heart. We, and then we rationalize it. I'm trying to do good for my family. No, we're doing them hurt in the end. They would rather live in a hut with dirt floors, with a, 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 a reputation that's intact, and a family that's intact, than live in a large, beautiful home that was gotten through ill-gotten means and not have the blessing of the Lord. And when it comes to this, God says, I want you to deal with these things thoroughly. I don't want you to leave a stone unturned. God said, I want you to deal with all of them. And the picture here is not for us to drag someone to the edge of town and visit God's wrath upon them. No, but it is to say, That when we address issues of sin in our life. We can't leave one shekel unchecked in the bottom of the tent. We can't leave one motive of covetousness undealt with in our life. We cannot allow those that have dissembled with us. To go along thinking that it will be okay. And that we can somehow by our pleadings. Mitigate the consequences of sin. What we must do is. Allow ourselves to be made vulnerable and allow the cleansing to be thorough so that the power of God can once again and the blessing of God can once again rest upon our homes and rest upon the congregations that God so yearns to bless. My friends, God can't bless sin we pray, pray, God bless this and God bless that. God bless this family that's getting ready to buy a new home, help them to get a new home. Well, they're living together outside of wedlock, and God can't bless that, my friends. Well, God bless this person who's thinking about a sex change operation. God can't bless that. God bless this, uh, this research. They're taking aborted babies and using them, uh, using their tissue to try to test to see if they can come up with, with new uh, drugs that will help to fight things. And listen, that's not something that God wants to bless. The reality is this, that we've got to be thorough. And we've got to come clean and deal with things on a thorough level so that the blessing of the Lord can return. Now I want you to understand, I've not said one thing about God judging you. not said one thing about you've lost your salvation. I've not said one thing about the fact that condemnation is upon you. I've not said one thing about the fact that that you're you're placed outside of Christ, or outside of the camp, or that you suffer the perils of hell. I'm not saying any of that. God has forgiven you and that's settled forever. My friends, there are natural consequences for sin. And this was a sin that he committed willingly, knowingly. There were 36 men that died because of it. There were others that came into league with him about it. And there were consequences that followed. And it was at the hands of men at the direction of the Lord. But it was something that had to be dealt with entirely. And I'm just going to say this to you, that you may be in a local congregation somewhere and harboring some known sin in your life and God has been speaking to your heart about it. You have taken of the unclean thing, or you have taken that which belonged to the Lord. Maybe it's the time that was due Him. Maybe it was the resources that belonged to Him. And, and, And maybe you have hazarded the blessing of the Lord upon a church and upon your household. Because of the choices which you have made. And things may be going along swimmingly right now. The sun is shining out there. And well yeah maybe there are some other people that have suffered. But you know we don't know really that that was our fault. That could just be the providence of God working in their lives. We don't know what they have hidden in their tents. And so rather than accepting any individual responsibility. We want to try to reassign blame. As though somehow we were not a big offender against what God said. The fact is. When we're aware of it, we need to deal with it thoroughly. God said, I don't want you to leave anything. Take the oxen, take the ass, take all that was in his tent. I want you to burn it. I want you to get rid of it. Remove it as something that would produce covetousness in the heart of someone. And I want others to see it and know that when they consider disobeying God brazenly, I want them to remember the Valley of Acor and to learn the lesson of AI. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. When someone goes out into sin, it hurts the church. We're a man down. When someone begins to take the resources that they once reserved unto the Lord, we all suffer. We all have to do with do more with less because someone chose to disobey. See, there's a lesson to be learned from AI. God help us to consider it. And when inclined to begin grabbing at what belongs to the Lord, His time, His resources, and our very life and its testimony. Look into the eyes of your loved ones and then ask yourself, is it really worth it? I think if we would, it would change our behaviors. I think if we would, it would impact the body of Christ in a wonderfully positive way. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the Word of God. Lord, I ask that you would help us to, in this dispensation, rejoice in your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. But understand that bad choices lead to unwanted consequences. Lord, though you forgive us, it doesn't remove all the consequences from us. Lord, we desire Your blessing on this ministry. May none of us stand in the way of the total blessing being poured out upon this place. Lord, I pray that we would deal thoroughly with sin, that we leave no stone unturned, that we would dedicate and consecrate everything that is in us. All that we are, all that we possess, all that we hope to have or be, may it be yielded completely to Thee. Lord, I pray that more than just praying that you bless us, that we live lives that may be blessed. This we pray in the precious name of Jesus. My friends, I just want to say that these are hard things. But you know what? We cannot trifle with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and think that it has no effect anywhere because we're under grace I think sometimes people want to become licentious they want to give themselves an opportunity to live carnally because they're free indeed you are but free men can be brought into the slave market and be made fools of because of those choices. And eternally, I'm free. But you know what? I could surrender my freedom on this side if I decide to do things that are violative of the law. That's a consequence. You think about what actions you might be taking to put your loved ones, your life, your church, your friends, at some layer of risk because... You're just thinking, well, I'll get away with it. Everybody's doing it. You know, God's people can't try to operate by the world standard and think that everything's going to be well. fact of the matter is, this world system delights to find a Christian who's living a life of sin and vice because they will sensationalize it to the world to discredit the name by which we are called. You know it, and I know it. And I think we need to determine in our lives that we are going to learn the lesson of AI. My friend, I want to say this to you. If you've listened to this tonight and you say, I've made all the dumb decisions of Achan, do you know the Lord is a forgiving and loving God? He can cleanse you of all of those sins. It may not remove every natural consequence. He will draw you to Himself. He will never turn you aside. He will always receive you if you understand this. He loves you and wants to spend forever with you. But our sin has stood in the way of that. And all of us are sinners if we've disobeyed God. But you know, there's a consequence for sin and it's not to be burned in fire. It's to be burned in the eternal fires of hell which is the place of suffering for sin. God loves you and He loves me so much that He said, I don't want them to go there. And so Jesus came and He suffered the punishment for your sin and my sin on the cross of Calvary when He died for us. Shed His blood to pay the price in full for your sin and mine so that we could receive forgiveness. The Bible says God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, Jesus loves you. And He offers that forgiveness as a gift to you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He will forgive your sin, and He will give you eternal life with Him in heaven forever. If you simply believe Him and receive that gift, it's been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ tonight if you believe that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and that Jesus loved you so much that he died in your place to take the punishment for your sin and he offers you forgiveness and heaven if you will believe him and receive it then I invite you to take that free gift from the Lord ask him for it he said whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved if we ask him to save us he said he would that's a promise from a God that cannot lie. If you've never done that, my friends, you can do it right now. Now, there are no magic words, but God is looking at the condition of our heart. And if we, with sincerity of heart, will come to the Lord, understanding the message of the gospel as i am sharing, it, and believing that it's true and the only hope that you have, if you simply admit to Him that you're a sinner, acknowledging you cannot change that or save yourself, And ask Him to come into your life and forgive you and to save you. He's promised He would. I'm going to pray a prayer and my prayer won't save you, but if this is the desire of your heart and you believe it, make it your own prayer to God and He will save you. As I pray now, I invite you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. I realize that I cannot save myself. I cannot change that condition. And so, God, I'm now inviting Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with God. I believe that Jesus died for me, that He was buried, and that He rose again to offer me this eternal life. I'm now trusting in Jesus and what He accomplished for me and that alone for my eternal salvation. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for thee. For this I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friend, tonight if you believe that with all of your heart and you pray to receive it, we want to invite you to reach out to us. Give us a call or send us an email. Message us. Whatever works best for you. We'd like to know that you made this decision because we want to send you a gift of a Bible and some information that will help you to begin growing in your newfound faith in Jesus Christ.